I talk about that all the time now of if, if there was a clear set path to accomplish the things you wanted to accomplish, it would be so easy. Like very rarely do the things that you have to do, are they actually super, super difficult, you know, like, um, but it's, it's dealing with the uncertainty, whether it's dealing with like, is this the correct path of the things I need to accomplish or, um, like for me, for a long time competing, it was the uncertainty of, are these emotions okay? Are these emotions correct? And and as soon as you've gone through it once or you have someone kind of guiding you and they're like, no, what you're doing is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. It's like, oh, okay. You know, like it becomes so easy. And, and I've had it, you know, uncertainty when I was uh, pursuing, you know, my college degrees uncertainty when I was, um, you know, competing in CrossFit and now, you know, dealing with the uncertainty of, you know, what's the next correct move with business. Um, none of the individual tasks that need to be completed are actually like unfathomably hard, but it's like, it's the fuck is this right? Am I doing the right things? I know I'm, I know I'm progressing, but am I progressing in the direction that I want to, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's mentally really, really tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's something that's like, so I, you saw, I showed you that, that picture of sort of where I was at a few years ago. And I feel like for me, yeah. part of that was this continual trying to sort of like lean into things that felt certain and the things that felt certain at that time were like, well, I know I can go do this thing. That's pretty easy for me and get paid. I know I can like drink to feel better at myself about myself. I know I can like always pound Taco Bell at the end of the day if I'm stressed. And like, there's things that have these guaranteed feedbacks but yeah. they're also negative feedback loops because it's pulling me further and further away from like, well, I care about my wife, but I'm not showing up for her because like, I don't know if investing time there is going to pay out right now. Cause that's not great right now. But I know that if I go, you know, bury my head in Netflix or play league of legends until two in the morning or do any of these other things, there's a, there's a degree of certainty that I'm choosing to lean into, but that certainty it's, it's is almost, usually away from the healthy side of things. Yeah. It's almost, you you have your vices that you know are going to be a guaranteed instant gratification right but whether that puts you to where you want to be next year or it's just you know i don't want to say like numbing the pain but making you feel good about yourself in this moment uh yeah i mean there's yeah i've dealt it with in so many different aspects of um you know and like it like you just mentioned, it can be, it can be about relationships as well of like, okay, like what's going to give me the instant gratification right now? Like what's going to make me happy right now? Or do I take a step backwards or, you know, like the, I, you see it all the time. And I've been in the situation where you just keep dating someone because it's the certain thing you, you're like, all right, if I stay with this person, I know I can accomplish this level of happiness but if I break up and open up that door for opportunity to find, you know, the right person for me, will I find the right person for me? Like, where do I even look? You know, like I know so many people just stay in a relationship because they're like, where do, as an adult, especially a self-employed adult, where do I even find somebody that 
is better. You know, like it's not like you're in high school and you're in four different classrooms every single day for 90 minutes with a bunch of other people that have similar, similar age and interests. But as an adult, you're like, where do you, where do you meet someone? You know, I, I remember that being single and being like, how do I even meet somebody new? Like, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, dealing with uncertainty is probably like, I remember being like the hardest thing, especially like in college, like failing a course. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how, how to pursue in this and then figuring out like just kind of rolling the dice and taking an educated guess of how to study for an exam or how to complete the homework or whatever it is. And same thing with training, you know, um, you know, I deal with some of my athletes of like, they're nervous before a workout and then it compounds because now they're nervous because they're nervous and they're like, Oh, I, I'm supposed to be super confident. I'm supposed to, you know, be excited for this workout and know that I'm going to smack. I'm like, absolutely not. Like somebody that's going into a competition, like I know I'm going to win. This is the, they're either naive or they're lying. Like, you know, there's, for me, it was like every competition I went into was like, Oh, this is the one, this is the one where I'm not going to perform. Something's going to come up. They're going to expose my weakness, whatever it is. Um, like, I don't think I ever had certainty going into a competition. Um, but it's trying to use those emotions in the correct way. Yeah. So how do you think about that tension between, I guess, like certainty and confidence? I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but even cause like maybe in the, in the, in the competition sense, there's like an obvious element of that, but I'm even thinking like, you know, we were talking about dating. It's like, oh, you're staying somewhere because it's certain, but there's also a world where, you know, some people don't ever stay anywhere because it's like, well, there might be something better out there and there always might be something better out there. And so there's this like tension between you're never going to be certain, but you have to at some point have enough confidence to be like, I'm going to make a bet on this. Mm -hmm. And so like, how, how do you think about that? I guess. I think, I think once I became confident that I knew I was going to make mistakes, um, you know, always perfection is impossible. Nothing is ever going to work perfectly. Like I always thought of it as, um, like from, from calculus, like limits, I'm always going to be approaching the limit line, but never achieving it. And and so when, once I gained the confidence in that there's going to be speed bumps, I'm going like, I'm going to fuck things up. Like we're like now, like in the business world, like we're going to do things that, you know, things that we thought were going to have no priority or emphasis, and they're going to be absolute home run hits just by coincidence, just by the stars happen to align. We're good to go. Uh, and then there's going to be others that, you know, we thought it was going, going to be, you know, a home run hit. And then just like, well, nope, we fucked that one up. And, and knowing, knowing that's going to happen, knowing that it's okay, as long as you move away from it with some more experience and apply that experience into your next attempt. Mm. Um, so, I mean, like I've had things at comp competitions, like competitions that I won and, you know, I left the floor from one single event and just been like, whoa, did that one wrong, you know, and it's inevitable. You're not going to get everything perfectly correct. Um, but it's just a matter of like, it's only a failed attempt if you don't take it 
take it and apply it to the next time that you're in that situation. Um, you know, like I, I've done it with, with school. I've done it with relationships, like dating someone. You're like, this is the one. And then they're fucking not, you know, uh, it's inevitable. Um, and I, like you, you look at, it's so easy to see the stories from the like ultra successful people. And, and you hear like, you know, and, and it's hard to relate it to yourself because they've achieved this like such high level of success. But and like, don't don't quote me on these things. But like, you know, I've, I've seen those posts of like, you know, Jeff Bezos at 23 years old was flipping burgers at McDonald's. Um, Elon Musk got fired from Amazon or whatever it was. And and then they just were just like, OK, yeah, like, yeah, I that was a failed attempt or I messed up or whatever it was. And like, don't quote me on those exact stories. Like, um, and I remember like, even like Oprah Winfrey, like at whatever age she got fired from some TV network or whatever it was. And it's hard to relate those things to our lives because like they've achieved this level of success. That's just unfathomable. But then looking at those things and like for myself, um, you know, at, at, 18 years old, I broke my back. Um, by, by the time I reached 20 years old, my Olympic dream was, you know, was put on the back burner. Um, like if you look at my sports career, my original goal for my sports career was a failure. I never made it to the Olympics. I never pursued that all the way to the end. Um, you know, looking at my original goal for, um, for like my career path, I wanted to work on offshore oil rigs. That was my goal. That's why I went to school. That was uh, my plan after graduation. That was a failure. But when I look at my overall career path as a failure, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, like looking at those things and looking at them very objectively, and I'm sure most people can look back over the last 10 years of their life and think about the obstacles or the roadblocks or you know the things that went wrong. And it's like, okay, that one scenario went incorrectly or not as to plan, but what did you take away from it? What life experience do you now apply ahead? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean the looking at things like that, I mean, it's endless. Mm. Mm. Man, I, uh, there's so many things that come to mind for me with that. Um, I feel like an important part of that is, you know, this process of like experimenting, right? You have to like try things to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And the unfortunate mm -hmm. reality that I think most of us have to come to is that like what works for you isn't necessarily what works for everyone else, you know? So like you've done a lot of things that may be the dream for other people, but didn't end up being the dream for yourself. And that mm -hmm. you have to accept that, but also wading into those things and going like, okay, what's real and what's not real about this, you know, because sometimes it's like, okay, we get a little bit of pushback and it's like, you just give up on it and sort of really wading into and going like, what do I love about this? What do I not love about this? How does it serve who I want to be? How does it not serve who I want to be? Um, and that process of sort of separating the real from the unreal. I've become a big fan, you know, in my own journey, uh, the last few years, especially of the serenity prayer actually. Um, and this mm -hmm. idea of like accepting what I can't change, having courage for the things I can, 
and that like the whole game is separating which one's which with those things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that just comes with more and more experience. So, right. so, um, anyone that's like been close to me, they, you, people know, like I'm, I'm not a re- actively religious person. Um, but like I have the serenity prayer tattooed on my left arm and anyone that that's close to me knows that before every single event that I've competed in on the competition floor, when we're in the corrals, I go to the back of the corral, I squat down and I recite the serenity prayer. And, and then I break it apart individually, like each line of like, okay, what in this situation do I have control over? And what in the situation do I not have control over? And, and then how do I come to terms with accepting those uncontrollables? And, and when you really break it down, you know, for myself, it was a competition setting, but then also just day-to-day life. Um, when you really, really genuinely break it down, you have very little control over most everything. Um, so like in the competition scenario, nine times out of 10, it came down to, all right, the only thing I have control over in this workout is my effort. Um, I don't have control over who's in the lane next to me. I don't have control over how they pace it. I don't have control over the judge that I'm assigned. I don't have control over, you know, the standards that they're looking to hold anything like that. I have control over my effort. And so, you know, there were things like, all right, make sure on this workout, you have your blinders on, make sure that I go in with a game plan that I'm confident with, make sure that I go in and knowing that all right, I have, I have to hold my effort, like depending on what judge, like making sure I'm showing them the standards that they're looking for. Um, so, you know, an easy way to help that is communicate with my judge before the workout starts. Hey, what are you looking for? What, what, is, what is your marker for a successful rep? And what can I do to, you know, make your job easier so that you're basically just a rep counter and not having to like check my standards every single rep. Um, and, you know, the serenity prayer was something like, I remember being a teenager and my dad just always like, Matt, like you're going through a hard time, say the serenity prayer, say the serenity prayer. And I took it very objectively of like, just recite the serenity prayer and things are going to get fixed. And when you're 14, 15, 16, you're not, you, you don't know the meaning of it. You're not, you know, doing it correctly. You hear that advice from your, from your dad and it just falling on deaf ears. Um, but then, you know, like once you're finally faced with some tough situations where you're hopeless and just like, and then it's almost, um, you're forced to look at a situation of like, all right, like shit is chaotic right now. I don't have control over anything. Um, so what, what can I control? And most of the time it's, you know, it's very, very few things. And then everything else is out of your hands. And it's just like, all right, what is the situation I'm dealt? And what is the best way to deal with this? And not looking at like, oh, well, if so-and-so would do their job and do this, if so-and-so would, you know, pull their weight on that or whatever, it's like, well, no, you don't have control over that. You right. know, maybe, maybe there's things like, oh, I can send them, I can call them and be like, hey man, just make sure, you know, the assignment's due on Tuesday. And then after that, you can't sit there. You can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. Right. Um, and so it's just making sure that you're keeping your side of the street clean. You're doing the best of your abilities on the things that you are capable of. Um, and so, you know, now it's like the serenity prayer is a daily thing. Um, you know, since basically since I've started CrossFit, I've had this little, little plaque, like it's like a, 
I don't know, size of a postcard, but my dad gave it to me and it's a, and it's the serenity prayer. And it's always been hung in my gym somewhere. Mm. You know, it's not something that stands out. It's not something that people notice. And I'm not even looking at it as much for like religious reasons, but just as like a reminder of like, all right, objectively look at this situation. I know there's things that I want to do like, fuck, I wish so-and-so would do this, that, and the other thing, but they're not going to, they're not going to do it the way that you want. They're going to do it the way that they think is best suited and like you need to put in the tack plan together of all right what can i do you know right 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 yeah man i mean that's a big a big moment for me with that was uh shortly after that photo of the i i heart beer uh shirt yeah i was you know me and my wife were actually sort of physically separated at the time and i remember you know we were sort of going back and forth and just in in the heat of the chaos of it all and my ego and everything and i remember i called a friend's dad and i was like she's doing this and that and this and that and he was like stop what can you do about that and he was like what can you do about you right now are you Mm -hmm. doing everything perfectly And I was like, well, and it was like, that was the beginning of the whole turnaround of the rest of my life was just like, I was so, I was generating so much emotional energy towards uncontrollables and not even looking at the controllables. And like, that was part of where, how I got myself into this whole mess, you know? And then, and then I'm sure like once you step back and, and then once you realize like how much, how much your actions are dictated by pride and ego Mm. and, and you know, like for me it was like like most people that are wired like us there's it's it's very easy for the pride and ego to get to creep up and, and you know this is one thing that i've talked about for years of like when when i'm in a, a rough situation like um i i would get a notepad notepad and a pen and paper and if somebody did something or said something in an interview or you know something about me about my performance or about me as a person whatever it was and my it would make my blood boil and and then i would sit down with a pen and paper and be like okay how am i going to get through the situation how am i going to get rid of these emotions because what they just said is making me lose sleep at night Mm. and i would sit down with a pen and paper and what i always tell people is just like act like a two-year-old to yourself you know when you when you tell a two-year-old something they go why and then you explain it and they go why 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 um and just sitting down and like dealing with the situation and just ask keep asking myself why and then just scribbling note just jotting whatever's going through my brain 90 percent of it i read through it later i'm like oh that's so dumb but then there's that one line that you're like oh that's going to lead to something right let's let's keep going down that rabbit hole so like like just behind me like i'll, I'll order like 20 20 spiral notebooks off Amazon. You know, they're like 50 cents a piece or something. Um, and they're always laying around. I never travel without one in my backpack and a couple pens for that situation of if something comes up, I can just start scribbling it down. And most of the time, by the time, like, you know, an hour or two goes by, um, you know, I come to a pretty good conclusion. Uh, and most times it's like, hey, it's probably your ego getting in the way right now. Mm. And it's like, ah, fuck, I thought I got rid of that thing. Um, but it's always there creeping back up. And, and uh, you know, it's like, oh, did somebody threaten my personal identity or somebody uninformed and spreading false information? And it's like, to anyone in the know, it's like, yeah, that doesn't, 
probably not a factor, you know, um, or it's probably not true. But then why does that bug me? Oh, it's probably my pride because it's this thing I've been working really hard on and somebody just went out and fault, spread this false narrative or starting a rumor or wh whatever it is, you know? Um, and so it's always trying to keep that, that pride and ego in check um, because like, I don't know, when, I always find when I'm operating under those circumstances, it's uh, usually for the wrong reasons. And like, yeah, I may be accomplishing something, but I don't feel good about it. Right. I'm not proud, not proud of the end results when I got there because I'm so wound up with resentment. And and that's what that's what derailed my weightlifting career was just like, you know, the I had enough people saying after I broke my back, like, oh, you know, his weightlifting career is done, you know, and I saw like these people I considered friends pulling away and and it was it was ego. It was just like, I, I built up these resentments and it was just like, I trained with this fuck you mentality of like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you. And it, it has its place. It can be beneficial training off resentment, but it, it'll burn you out. It, like, you know, it starts for me, it affected my love of the sport. Mm. It was this thing that even if I wasn't competing, I was, I was doing it for me. I was always just trying to break my PRs. Um, but then, you know, I had the better better part of a year of training just off resentment and it was all ego it was just people saying like all oh, his weightlifting career is over and that that affected my personal identity that conflicted with what how i identified myself um and so you know i made it the point to prove them wrong i wasn't doing it for me i wasn't i wasn't proving it to myself that i could come back from this injury and you know i was doing it for other people and and so you know that's when i came came into CrossFit and started competing there. That's when I started making sure that I'm doing this for me. Mm. Um, you know, you hear people all the time, like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to make sure that my wife or my husband is proud. I want to make my coach proud. I want to do this for all the people that supported me. And like the answer I always gave, I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and it's because they only got the surface level answer. They didn't know the reasoning behind it. Mm. And for me, I was like, no, I'm out here for me. Like, this is, I'm competing for myself. Um, and I meant it in a way that when, when I'm out there, I know when I walk off the floor, whether I get first place or last place, Sammy is still going to love me no matter what. O'Keefe is still going to be my, by my side no matter what. So why would I go out there and thinking like, oh, I need to do this for Sammy. I need to do this for Sammy. I was like, no, I'm, I'm doing this for me because I know she loves me unconditionally. Um, so yeah, you know, make, making sure you're doing it in the, for the right reasons and, you know, put some thought into it of like, like ask yourself why a hundred times over and like get down to the root, the root cause. Yeah, dude, that's so good. I mean, and that's something I feel <laughs> maybe it's a stretch, but uh, let's say for the sake of, cause you said it, uh, people like us, I, uh, I read this study, or I should say I heard this study. It was on a podcast a while ago with uh, some ultra coaches, and they were talking about a study on high-drive individuals having this proneness to addictive behavior because it's like high uh, dopamine feedback loops. It's like high drive to achieve mm. dopamine. So it's like, okay, I'll go suffer. I'll go do whatever I have to do to get the thing that feels good, which can be really beneficial when pointed in a healthy direction, can be incredibly inefficient when pointed in an unhealthy direction. And I think yes. that sense of like 
for me having to go back in, I never identified as like an addict. You know, I was like, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not this, but I, in this process have had to come to terms with the idea that I am an incredibly high drive person who, if I get off track, I can make anything an addiction. And, you know, that's yes. taken a lot of different phases throughout my life. But like, for me, I, I, I don't know that I've publicly said this before, but I'm comfortable saying it is like, 12-step stuff has been super helpful for me as a high-drive person to re-ground myself and like, what matters? Who am I really? What am I, where am I operating out of resentments and fear? And where am I operating out of love? And even like re-grounding myself to the idea that like, oh, people can love me for who I am, not what I do. And that that then affects how I show up everywhere else. I know you've mm -hmm. talked a little bit, um, I saw a video you did with Beam a little bit about sobriety and I would just be curious your thoughts on like I don't know sort of like that sense of like being inside of yourself and acknowledging all that stuff and like self-honesty and how you show up other places yeah so you know I've talked it publicly um you know I I quit drinking when I was 17 years old um alcoholism runs in the family um you know so like so my dad has been sober my whole life um and and, you know, I've been involved in the 12 step community pretty heavily, especially, especially when I was, uh, you know, newly sober. And, and I remember it finally got to a point where I was like, okay, like there's no, there's no way around it. I'm an alcoholic and, and being really, really bummed out about that of being like, man, I can't drink normally. Like even at a super young age, like having a drink was never a thing having a beer was not a thing it was like no if, if i'm drinking it's going to be chaotic and uh, you know i had the ability of going to a party and be like nope i have stuff to do tomorrow i'm not drinking at all um that wasn't super rare um but i knew like if i was at a party and i was like nope not drinking at all and then was like ah okay i can have one it was game over. Like everything else got thrown to the wayside. Um, and I remember being really bummed out. Like I looked at it as like, I have this curse that is limiting me. And, and then, you know, seeing enough people in the program, people that are, you know, very close friends accomplish incredible, incredible things and realizing, okay, I'm not just an alcoholic. I am a holic. Um, anything I do, I become obsessed with it. Um, if it, you know, if I get that dopamine response, I'm all in and it's all I can think about all day long. And, and realizing that, okay, having this addictive personality can be a blessing. Um, you know, and the, the early examples, I remember, I remember one friend, uh, she got, got sober, as a teenager, but like full on heroin addict, like six foot tall, 88 pounds, like rough, rough shape. And I don't think she graduated high school. I think she went back after she, you know, got sober, got her GED. Um, and then she ended up like had to do a couple years at community college, got into a great university. She's a, she's a physician now. Like she just, buckled down and became obsessed with school and practicing all this stuff. And now she is a 
very successful doctor. I have another friend, very entrepreneurial, um, but same thing, like, I, like life was chaos, life was in shambles. Um, and then once he got sober, you know, just hit the ground running. And it, he's one of these guys that it's almost as if everything he touches turned to gold. And, and that's not the case at all. It's everything he touches, he becomes obsessed with. And, and so once I realized that of like, okay, I have an addictive personality, nothing I can do about it. That's there. Um, the reason there's, there's a 12 step program for drinking is because the byproduct of it is very negative. You, you hurt the people around you, you hurt yourself. Um, and you don't accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish. Um, but nobody, when, when I went, when I, when I started college, and I, I was like, all right, I have this addictive personality, nothing in moderation. If one is good, two is better, three is great. And so when I started starting in college, you know, I was going for a mechanical engineering degree and my typical holic self was like, if one's good, two is better. So I did a double major, double minor. And I, I didn't have a social life. I didn't have like any other real priorities. It was no, I'm I'm going to school. I want to be the top of my class and I don't want to just do one degree. I want to do two degrees and two, two, uh, minors. Nobody's coming to me and saying like, Hey Matt, I think you're, I think you're doing too good at school. You know, I think you need to throttle back. Um, and then, then when I got into CrossFit, it was the same thing. I was like, Oh man, if rowing once a week gets me some benefits, what happens if I row every day? What happens if I do mobility every single day? And, and same thing, nobody's coming to me and like, Hey man, you've won three world championships. I think this is a problem. You need to, you need to throttle back before you win your fourth. Fuck. No, people are encouraging me. They see the the positive effect that this has on, on my life. And, and so what I realized was being a, a holic, being a, having an addictive personality, becoming obsessed with these things has the potential to to be a phenomenal, phenomenal trait, as long as the side effects, as long as the consequences of your actions are a positive benefit. So, you know, when it, when it came to me drinking people, like, I, I remember, I remember hearing, uh, it may have been my dad said it. He's like, people would refer to me saying like, I had a drinking problem. And he goes, no, I didn't have a drinking problem. I was awesome at drinking. Like I was the best. Like even if all the liquor stores were closed, I would find booze. Like I would, I was awesome at it. Mm. Um, it was everything else would fall to the wayside. And, and so, you know, I looked at it originally of like, this is a curse. You know, I have this problem. And now I look at it like, oh, I have this blessing of when I, when I decide I want to do something the same way when, when I was actively drinking, once I decided I'm drinking tonight and I'm getting blackout drunk, there, there was very little that could stop me. Mm. And so, so now, like when I went to college, like when, when I first applied to college, I did not get into UVM university of Vermont. I did not get in and my mom worked there. And it was, a, it's kind of a known thing that like, if you have a, if you have a parent, that works at the university, you're kind of a shoe in. And I did not get in. So I had to go to community college for a little bit. I bounced around different colleges. And then when I got to UVM, I was, once I found the, the subject matter that interested me, I was like, oh, I want to be the top of my class. 
I want to do this. And I, I wasn't like number one in my class, but like given everything else I was doing and the fact that I was a double major, double minor, I, I was doing very well. I think I was on the Dean's list, like 11 semesters in a row graduating, like a good GPA. And, um, and then when, when I started competing in CrossFit, it was the same thing of like, I became obsessed with it. Like that's what my entire day eyes open to eyes closed revolved around and because it had a positive effect on my life nobody's coming to me and being like hey man you're dedicating too much time to this hey man you're doing this that like no everyone's like fuck yeah dude good for you keep going double down do more um and now it's the same thing with business um you know it's uh trying to find that balance um but yeah it's like no i'm obsessed with it now it's what my day revolves around eyes open eyes closed of how can i be the best partner how can i be the best provider for my athletes how can i be the best person for my client you know all the all these different things and not nobody's coming to me and be like hey man you're doing too good of a job hey man you're doing this like no i'm still dealing with the obstacles but i know i know how i operate i don't do well with idle hands um and i know that when i take something that I enjoy, I become obsessed with it. And so it's just finding those things that I want to be obsessed about and they have a positive output um, and just like doubling down on them. Mm. Yeah, that's so good, man. I'm curious, like, because I feel like something I've had to figure out is that idea of to what you said, sort of um, everything you touch you do as well as you can do. And I feel like I've found that. And so it's like, I have to be intentional about what I touch, but mm -hmm. I also have to be intentional about like, so for me, a few years ago, I think I lost sight of like something that was really important to me was my marriage and my wife and like her as a life partner. And I had gotten so sucked into the same sort of thing where like I, not, not the same sort of thing, but the same idea of like, I was doing a lot of work stuff really well, shooting a lot of big commercials, traveling. I had a pretty big podcast. I had a big Facebook group. I had a Patreon and no one saying, Hey, you should do less of that. And I was mm -hmm. sitting there slowly, uh, eating away at my physical health and my relationship and all these other things because I had taken my hands off of things that were important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like when you say during your games career, no one was saying like, you're doing too good. Do you have any sense that there are things that, things that you did take your hands off that in hindsight were valuable to you and that you maybe over invested in that in some ways? Hmm. Um, I guess like, was it worth it almost is the question or like, is there anything that you're like, man, that was great and no, I'm glad so, I did it, but <laughs> no, so s simple answer. No, I don't, I don't look back at much at all through my CrossFit career and kind of like regret it or be like, ah, I put too much emphasis here and that took away from there. Um, um, you know, and I think the important thing to point out that I was in a very, very unique situation and I don't want to say luck, but things lined up for me pretty early on. So immediately after the 2015 games, that's when Sam and I started dating. And lucky enough for me, she was she worked in the CrossFit space. So she was familiar with the games and what went into the games and like in terms of for an athlete training. And and so basically right from the get go it was, you know, a couple months into dating and like she lived in Rhode Island. I lived in Vermont. So it's like a three and a half, four hour drive. And one of us every other weekend would do the drive and stay with the other person for the weekend. And, you know, within a couple months of dating, it was, I was like, Hey, I can't, can't do that drive anymore. And 
and so I expected that to be a problem. But for me, I was like, nope, I have a goal. This is what I'm pursuing. And so this is the situation where I was lucky that she was just like, okay, I'll do the, I'll do the drive every other weekend. If I can, you know, if something comes up, I can't make it that frequently, but, um, and then, you know, I had O'Keefe on my side as well. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't until recently that the Sam and I dated when I wasn't training, you know, our five years of date, first five years of dating, it was incredibly selfish geared towards me uh, because I had a goal that I was pursuing and, you know, her and I had talked about it of like, I'm like, all right, like just give me a couple years and I can make the rest of our lives much, much better. And, you know, I, I had a life partner that had her, had her sight set on the same goal and was doing anything and everything she could to help me help us get to where we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking back, I mean, through, through my weightlifting career, I can, I can identify some things du- during my school college career. I can identify some things, but like once I got to CrossFit, I realized like, okay, um, I have a goal and I'm okay with putting some of the, th- some of these things on the back burner. Um, because, because I knew I had to, you know, they weren't a priority for me. So early on, you know, I went a little stent in CrossFit where I was single and I didn't have much of a social life. And I was like, okay, like I want to set up my life so that need be, I can be as selfish as I need to be to get me towards my goal. And I don't want, I don't want that selfishness to hurt or affect anyone in a negative way. So if I'm single, I'm I'm not leaving my partner high and dry when they want me to be spending time with them or like going out on a Friday night for dinner and dancing or something. Um, You know, social life, like I didn't make many plans to hang out with friends um, so that I wouldn't ever be canceling plans on them and leaving them high and dry. Um, You know, so there was a lot of things like that where I set myself up so that I wasn't accountable to anyone or anything, you know, even something as simple as making sure that I'm not setting myself up for failure where, you know, the first couple of years in my cross career, I, I still drove a super shitty car. I still lived in my mom's basement, all, all these things. And, and it was very intentional. I didn't want to have a car payment. Um, so that if, if I didn't perform well, or if uh, sponsors came along that, you know, didn't align with my values, or I didn't like the product, wh- whatever it was, I wasn't forced into signing mm. that deal. So, you know, like, I, I wanted to live in my mom's basement and not have a car payment, so that I, I wasn't accountable to anyone. And if, if I didn't perform, say, say I twisted my ankle, and now I can't compete for a couple months. Um, I didn't want my landlord I didn't want to have to tell them like, Hey man, I don't have rent, rent money for you. I didn't want to leave somebody high and dry. I didn't want to have to put them in a position to evict me. Um, I didn't want to have to put myself in a position with a car payment of going to my parents and be like, Hey, I can't make my car payment this month. Can you pay it? Uh, I didn't want to, you know, whoever I got the loan from to buy the car. Um, I didn't want to have to put them in a position of like missing a payment and that type of thing. So I was like, I want to make myself as self-sufficient, as possible so that my selfish acts um, don't affect them. And I didn't want to have to put myself in a situation to derail myself from pursuing my dream of, Hey, I can't compete for a couple months. So that means my money, my money dries up for a couple months. I need to now go get 
a regular nine to five job to tide me over until I'm healthy again. And then that's going to take away from my recovery process, my training, anything and everything. So, you know, making sure that I'm by, by being selfish, by not having any other priorities in my life, I can solely focus on this one thing without anyone else having a negative effect by it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, like, like, I think I bought, I think I bought a house in 2017. I, I could have bought a house in 2014. Um, but then I'm, I'm forced into situations that I might, I might have to sacrifice my dream a little bit to make ends meet. Right. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'll, I'll live in this shitty basement apartment. I'll drive this 1988 Oldsmobile, um, you know, and I'm not accountable to anyone. So I can kind of be selfish, pursue my dream. And then if it, if it fails, nobody's out, nobody's, right. nobody's hard up. Um, you know, it's just like, for me, I always look, I'm like, I'm like, dude, if I have to sleep in my car for a little bit, that's fine. I've slept in my car before. Like, it's not the end of the world. Um, and luckily I have people in my life that I know love me and would obviously take me in if need be. But, um, I, I didn't want to have anyone else's, anyone else's efforts tied in. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when I met O'Keefe, like he was, he was there to support me. When I met Sammy, she was very like-minded in my goals and helped me pursue them. Um, and it's the same now, you know, uh, Sammy and O'Keefe are still by my side helping me, but uh, making sure that, you know, I'm not going, rolling dice and going into debt or something to get this business off the ground. And it's like, nope, starting off organically. And then I'm, if it, if it goes belly up, nobody's out right. you know it's just kind of like oh it's a failure i'll learn some life lessons and i'll move on right yeah i mean and i feel like it's something two things really stick out to me in that one like the your perspective on like true success over short-term signals of success like sort of knowing what the actual dream was and it's not big oh. house fancy car which is you know so often we want to give ourselves this like short-term feedback loop that it's working but also the importance of with Sammy, with O'Keefe, you having clarity in your vision and you took partners who were aligned with the vision and you didn't put yourself in a position to have to take partners who weren't aligned with the vision. And then yeah. I think that's where we get ourselves in a lot of tension where it's like, oh, I got a business partner whose vision is actually totally different than mine, but we never talked about that. And now halfway through, we're totally in this tension. And it's like, well, you and Sammy and O'Keefe all seem to be on the same page of what you're trying to do. So like, yeah, there's sacrifices and there's trade-off and there's times, but like, we're all trying to do the same thing. So it's not really a problem, you know? Yeah. And like what kind of something you just said of like defining success for yourself. It's such a vague statement and I, and you hear it so often that it kind of goes in one ear out the other and, but genuinely sitting down. And I always looked at it of like, all right, when I'm 65 years old, what, what do I imagine? What do I picture? What would, what is, what is my dream of success? Um, and, and that was a big, big thing that I sat down and looked at. And, and once again, it wasn't, um, it wasn't me just like happy go lucky one day and be like, Oh, let me sit down to find success. It was me in a very, very low point, um, and kind of hopeless, but I needed to create a North star for myself of like, I'm like, I don't know where to go, what to do and how I'm going to do it, but I need, I need somewhere to point and start pursuing towards that thing, whatever it is. And, 
and some of it, like I had goals and achieved them and realized like, or like started to achieve them, started getting some doses of like, all right, you're, you're getting towards that goal that you set. And then realizing like, oh fuck, I don't want that at all. Um, and that's going to happen. Like you don't know until you're there. You don't know until you start figuring it out. And you know, there, there were certain things, um, you know, like the really, really easy things to think about. Um, and there's kind of examples, some of them might apply, but like, um, you know, the big house, nice cars, jewelry, like nice watches or whatever it is. Um, you know, really, really nice clothes, designer shit. Um, and for a lot of people like that is, they're like, Nope, I got the seven series BMW. I live in a, you know, eight bedroom house that's 10,000 square feet. And like, that's their sign of success. Um, and, and for myself, like that was, I think early on, uh, you know, I probably was in my sights, not as drastic as most, but like, um, you know, like the fine, let's just use finances for, for an example. Um, I, early on, I used finances as, as a measuring stick of how successful I was. And I think to a certain point, it's good because most of the time, the better you get at a trade, the more people are going to pay you for it. So that's a good indication that you're getting better and better at your craft. Um, you know, a welder that is able to charge 500 bucks an hour and is getting paid 500 bucks an hour, odds are he's put in the time and the effort to be the best welder. So for me, like going to competitions, most times when I'm winning bigger prize purses and getting bigger sponsorship deals, it's a good indication that, that I'm better at my job. But at a certain point, um, you know, the juice is no longer worth the squeeze. You know, uh, the example I always use is, uh, I forget what book I read this in, but it was like, all right, if you had your, a job offer, two job offers, one for your absolute dream job as at an architect firm, you're going to make $75,000 a year, but it's your absolute dream work environment, or you can get $80,000 a year and be a toll booth attendant. And you're just sitting 12 hours a day in a toll booth, collecting 75 cents from every car that goes by, which one are you going to take? And even though the toll booth job pays $5,000 more a year, most people are probably going to take their dream job for a little bit less money. So in that scenario, it's like, okay, your, your salary or the money you bring in is most times a good measuring stick until you're at that extreme scenario. And, you know, I've been in that dream scenario of like, all right, I can sign, I can sign an endorsement deal with this sponsor that I don't like their product and I don't like the people I'm working with, or I can go with this one where I genuinely believe that this is something that I want, want to promote and spread, spread as much awareness about for a little bit less money. And I'm going to enjoy myself and, you know, I'm going to lay my head on my pillow at night and thought, have a good night's sleep. Um, so, you know, weighing out those pros and cons of making sure that you're doing the right things for yourself. So, and what, what I mean by like define success for yourself, like for me, I'm like, I, I've had the opportunity to drive cool cars and I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but it's not my thing. Yeah. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, you know, have cool jewelry or, you know, the designer clothes or live in the big mansion, whatever. And I'm like, those aren't for me, you know? Um, and I'm sure there's, there's things that I do that I look at as like, this to me is a, I feel successful 
being able to do this. And I'm sure a lot of people look at me and go, oh, what a waste of money or what a waste of time, you know, whatever it is. Um, but it's like, no, that's my definition of success. Right. Um, and, you know, something as simple as like people look at somebody that has a lot of friends and they're like, oh, wow, they're they're doing really good uh, by them. That's not my definition of, of success, of having a lot of friends. I don't, I'm not envious of somebody that has a hundred different friends. I'm envious of somebody that's had the same five friends for 20 years. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, for a lot of people, they want more friends. They want more connections. For me, I'm like, no, I want a handful of people that I know like the back of my hand. They know me like the back of their hand. And I want to keep that relationship forever. Um, so, you know, once again, like being a two-year-old to, to yourself and sitting down with a notepad and being like, all right, what do I want? Like, what am I doing this for? And then writing it down and then making sure that you ask like, why? Why do I want, you know, why do I want a Ferrari? Is it so when I pull up next to a stoplight, like I get the the dose of approval from the guy next to me? Or do I, do I actually value like the machining, the engineering behind it, right. you know, do I get a thrill out of the performance of this car? Am I going to use the performance or am I doing it to impress other people that I will never see again? Right. You know, simple, simple things like that. And keep asking yourself, why, why, why I have friends that like they, I remember being younger, like they have a $500 apartment and they have a hundred thousand dollar car. And for me, I'm looking at that and I'm like, that is so ass backwards, but for them, that's what they value. That's what that gives them joy. They're doing it for themselves because they love it. That's right. their goal. For me, no, I wouldn't give you a wooden nickel for that for that life combo. Um, but I'm sure they look at me and they're like, dude, why are you wasting your money? Why are you wasting your time on these other things? Because it doesn't align with their goals. And it's not supposed to because their goals aren't your goals. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so good. And I feel like that's the thing that immediately came to mind for me, even just having a been at your setup now is like the, uh, the espresso machine versus the pit bikes, you know? And it's like hundred percent. Yep. I, I don't need yeah, like fancy car. I can go fast on a pit bike and I care about really good coffee. <laughs> well, and so, so like the, the coffee, the coffee machine, my whole coffee setup is a perfect example. Like, that coffee setup costs more than like my first two or three cars combined. You know, um, most people would look at that and go like, why in the world <laughs> would you ever have that setup? You know, like that's for most people, it's not worth it. And it's not supposed to be, you know, that is the cream of the crop. That is the, that is the Bugatti of coffee machines. My Lamarzico GS3 MP. I have, multiple grinders for it. Like that's what I'm into. That's what I enjoy. Um, like somebody else coming over, they're not supposed to enjoy it. That's my goal is to have that in my home. Like I could literally open a commercial coffee shop with my coffee setup. No problem. Um, you know, my pit bikes. So, so the other thing I want to point out was one of my goals, one of my markers of success was, is relationships is friends and family and you know so so the easy example is i once i retired one of my treats to myself was i bought three identical pit bikes anyone listening doesn't know what a pit bike it's a miniature dirt bike it's a dirt bike meant for an eight-year-old it's they're 110 cc they're little tiny things they're like knee height 
and um, and then like I built them up so that adults can ride them. You can put a 250 pound person on it, um, and I enjoy it. Or let me rephrase that: I enjoy riding pit bikes with friends. Riding a pit bike by yourself isn't very enjoyable for me. Um, and so, so I bought three and I bought three identical ones. And then, so like when I put bigger handlebars on one, I put bigger, bigger handlebars and springs and all these upgrades on all of them, because my form of success is have doing these fun activities that I enjoy with the people I love. Um, and because I want to invest money into, it doesn't mean that my friends want to. And, and so I bought three of them so that when they come over, I'm like, here, here's, here's a pit bike for you to ride with me. Um, same with my, my big motorcycles, my baggers, um, you know, riding a motorcycle by yourself. Yeah, it's fun for a little bit, but it's, for me, it's much more enjoyable to do it with a friend, but not all my friends have motorcycles. And so my idea of success is, okay, I want to ride motorcycles with friends. I'll buy motorcycles for friends. So they're still my motorcycle. They're in my garage. But like, if my buddy wants to come on a ride with me, I just toss him the keys. I'm like, let's go. You know, so it's for my idea of success is setting up this, like my house, my life, my fun activities so that my friends can join me. And they're not looking at like fucking a Matt wants to go. Matt wants me to get buy a pit bike and I can't afford it. Um, same with uh, like target practice, shooting guns. But no. You don't need to go out and buy it. I, this is selfishly for me. I have a better time doing this activity with my friends here and I want you to have a fun time too. So I'm going, so when I bought a dirt bike, I bought dirt bikes to accommodate for my friends. When I got a motorcycle, I got motorcycles to accommodate my friends. Um, the patio we put in, I won't sit out on my patio by myself, but I want to have a place where we can bring friends together and sit around a bonfire and barbecue. And like, I wanted to, provide that place of entertainment so that my house is the place that my friends want to come to so that they're not out. They're not like, Oh, I have to take Saturday and go to Matt's house. Cause he invited me over. It's like, no, I want my friends to want to drop in unexpectedly and come hang out. Like you've seen my home gym. That's more than I'll ever use, but no, I wanted to provide a place that my friends wanted to come work out. And, uh, and so, you know, that's my idea of success is that people want to come over people want to spend time around me and like be here on my compound. Uh, and so for me, that's my, a big, big thing for my success is that my friends can come and enjoy it too. That's so cool, man. I, uh, I want to be sensitive to your time. Do you have a heart out here coming up? Nope. Nope. We're good. This is, this is my last, uh, Last thing for the day. Okay, uh, I cool. mean, I got like laundry and stuff to do before we leave tonight, but no, I'm good. Okay, cool. Well, then I, I have a few more questions for you if that's okay and we can wrap this up. Mm -hmm. um, man, it's hard to pick. <laughs> okay. When you were 12, there was a time you were playing soccer at recess. What happened there? <laughs> uh, so I was, I was a very, very heavyweight kid. Uh, not, not very, very heavyweight, but I was, I was the doughy kid in class and you know, like kids are mean. They just say what's on their mind. They don't know the consequences of it. And, uh, so, you know, like the, the, the jokes and the comments about being the heavier kid came up often. And, uh, and I remember playing soccer and, uh, and I kicked the ball and it shanked off to one side, went out of bounds. I remember I remember this kid just came up to me and screamed at me. He's like, go get the ball, fat ass. 
And I remember, oh, I cried and I cried like that. Just for whatever reason, that comment just cut me deeper than usual. And I remember like in that moment, I was like, I'm losing all of this weight. And, uh, and so I would have been in sixth grade, sixth grade, I was 165 pounds. And in the next 30 days, I lost uh, about 35 pounds. Um, and it was just like, I think that was like the first time that I was like, I have a goal. Nothing's getting in the way of me achieving this goal. And literally, I just ate raw spinach, tuna out of a can in water. And and I just worked out. I just ran on a treadmill, probably like six miles a day total. And I would do sit-ups and push-ups obsessively. And uh, and I lost like 35 pounds. And so sixth grade, how old are you there? Like 11, 12 years old, maybe. Um, and yeah, I just went through this huge weight loss transformation. Um, but yeah, I think that was the first dose of like, I have a goal. I don't know how, how to achieve. I don't know. I didn't know how to work out. I didn't know how to eat. And so, you know, made some drastic, terrible mistakes, but I was like, nope, I'm going to, this is my North. That's where I'm going. Um, yeah. So I, I think that was the first dose of like putting in the work with uncertainty behind it and then getting, seeing the results and being like, oh shit. All right. Like that wasn't super hard. Like, or it was hard, but it was very simple. Um, and then knowing that I made mistakes along the way and kind of learned from those mistakes and modified, you know, my work ethic to, to accommodate those. Yeah. For maybe younger or older people, but for people maybe in that position now, is there any advice you would give to help people align their body image with their dreams in a healthy way? Yes. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, I can talk on this just an hour, just on this. Um, I'll kind of do the cliff notes, baby steps. Do not do like this drastic life change of like completely overhaul your whole diet where it's like overnight, you're throwing away everything in your fridge and then replacing it with all this healthy shit that you don't know how to cook. You don't enjoy all this stuff, little changes. And when that little change becomes a norm, then, then make a little bit more of a change. So like if you drink a six pack of, of Coke a day, like over, don't cut that off cold Turkey overnight because then you're going to be miserable. And the first speed bump, you're going to use it as an opportunity to relapse. So it's these little changes at a time, instead of going from six to zero, go to six to three. And then once that becomes normal, then six to one. And then once that becomes normal, it's like, all right, now I have one Coke a week. Um, just so that the first inconvenience, you're not going off the rails and go, and going, ah, oh, well, fuck, I had, you know, if you're trying to drink none and then you have one on a Friday and you're like, well, today's already ruined. I'll have all that I want today. And then you get through that day and you're like, well, screw it. Might as well enjoy the weekend, you know, try and try not to set it up for, you know, this catastrophic failure. Um, when it comes to like body image, the like, typical thing, I want to lose weight. Um, have confidence that or know that like it's not going to be quick it's not going to be overnight like if you think about it, like how long did it take me to put on this weight all right I've gained this belly over the last five years all right well it's not going to be a overnight thing like it took you five years to get it it's probably going to take you about you know 
equivalent time to get it off. Um, so, you know, like the recommendation I always gave friends was like, take a picture of yourself and then put that picture in a drawer and don't look at it for six months. And it's really hard to, you know, set a goal that far out. Um, but if you're on a weight loss journey and you see yourself every day, multiple times a day in the mirror, you're never going to notice a change. There's never going to be a date. You're not going to notice that you lost a quarter pound from yesterday. You're not going to notice that you lost, you know, on those increments, but it's think about it. Like when you go, when you see people that went through a whole weight loss journey, the people close to them, yeah, they see it a little bit, but like when they see you on a daily basis, they don't notice it, but it's when you bump into an old coworker that you haven't seen in two years and you've gone through this 120 pound weight loss journey and, and then you see them and Hey Tom, how's it going? They're like, sorry, who are you? They don't even recognize you because they, like all the progress was made and they never did like a check-in. But when you see yourself every single day, multiple times a day, you're not going to notice those, that gratification as quickly. Um, so take a picture of yourself, put it in the drawer and then don't look at it for six months and then take a look at it. And in the grand scheme of things, six months in the grand scheme of life is like, it goes over so quickly. Um, so it's like having the patience with it and like trusting the process and, it's, it's going to be those little moments that, that are going to dictate your progress. So like, you know, say you're, you're, you're eating healthy, you're not drinking, you're having a bedtime, all this stuff. And then your buddy's birthday comes up and they're like, Hey man, we have a nine o'clock reservation at this restaurant that it's like, you know, it has the opportunity of keeping you up past your bedtime. It has the opportunity of like, Oh, I might as well get the cheesy, cheesy appetizer. And then, ah, screw it. You know, I already had the appetizer, get my money's worth and I'll have dessert as well. It's those little moments that are going to set the tone for the rest of it. And in the moment, it's really, really tough sitting there eating, eating your healthy meal as all your friends are raving about how good the potato skins are, or like whatever the trashy appetizer is or the dessert but it's those moments that are going to set the tone because as soon as you resist that temptation one time, it's going to be easier the next time. Not only do you now have the self-confidence of, I know I can get through this night with sticking to my diet and getting home at a reasonable hour, but then your friends around you see it. And they, the first time they're, oh, come on, Matt, have the dessert, have the cheesecake. And you're like, no, I'm not doing it. The next time, they're not going to be, they're not going to be pushing you as hard to enjoy yourself. Then the next time, then the third time, they're not even going to offer it. You know, they just know like, nope, he's sticking to his goals. Um, I'm not even going to tempt him with it, you know? So it's, it's setting that tone early on of no exceptions, no, um, you know, cutting corners. Uh, you know, you're not sacrificing anything. You're not, it's ah, just this one time. No, it's not going to be just that one time. That's going to trickle over into next week and the week after. Um, and if you make yourself proud that first time, now if you if you relapse a week later, it's going to be even more disappointing because you already put in that work that first week. And then the third week, it's going to be even more disappointing. So now you're more likely to stay on track with your goal. So little incremental changes, little incremental progress. So it's sustainable. It's not just a crash diet for three weeks. It's no, now you just eat differently. Um, so making little sustainable changes um, is going to be a huge, huge piece. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's, I wrestled senior year and I had to cut, 
I forget what it was, close to 30 pounds in like five weeks. And I, I made it happen. You know, I, I was coming back to the yep. willingness to like, I'll sleep in a trash bag. I'll eat a thousand calories a day and train, you know, doubles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my body pretty quickly snapped back after that too. And then it was like the, I think the big difference and one of the things I tell people about sort of where I'm at now and sort of the journey that I showed you a little bit of was the day that I started that, I remember explicitly, like I have this distinct memory of telling myself in my head, it's going to take me at least two summers to get to where I want to be. And that mm -hmm. small mindset change of not like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to change how I eat for a month, but like, I have to work at this for at least two years is what set up mm -hmm. everything after that. Like, are you willing to do two years of work or do you only want one month of abs, you know? <laughs> so, so I, I know for myself, like, uh, th this is why I set up little micro goals through each competition season. So once I would start competing in CrossFit, if I, I had, you know, just for convenience sake, saying that I have one goal. When I wake up in the morning, my only goal is to win the CrossFit games. And and so that's what I'm going. That's That's my only goal. That's my only priority. But if I allow that to literally be my only goal, every day when I leave the gym, it was a failure. Because if I'm leaving the gym every single day of like, hey, did you accomplish your goal today? Nope. Then you're a failure. And that's why it like looking at my my goal for the next over the next 10 months. In 10 months, I want to win the CrossFit Games. All right. Well, what can I do over four months? What can I do over two months? What can I do this week? What can I do today to get me to where I want to be in 10 months? And that way I'm giving myself that that daily dose of gratification, that feeling of accomplishment of like, all right, I'm putting myself to where, where I need to be to accomplish the goal that I want in 10 months. And for that reason of like, because early on in my career, every day I would leave the gym, like, well, what's the purpose? I don't get to test my goal today. So why am I doing this? And it was like, oh no, if I want to achieve that, that goal here, I need to break it down to a point that is like daily steps that I can check the box. But I accomplished my goal today. Today was a good day. And then not only is it encouraging moving forward because now you're getting this daily dose of gratification and then you start chasing that. And then you're like, Oh, I'm excited for tomorrow. Cause I get to test this or I get to do that. Um, and then realizing like, Oh, the love is in the process. Mm -hmm. The end goal is just somewhere to, to aim your sights and pursue. But the, you know, most people that are accomplishing these great feats love the process, not, not the end piece quite as much. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I, uh, I have a bunch of other stuff I'd love to ask you, but I'm not going to, cause I think we're, we're at a good point in time. It would be fun. Well, I would we'll, just, we'll say, just save it. We'll save it for next time. I was going to say, I would love to really, it would be fun to dig into more of like training stuff and, uh, even like, cause I think there's a whole other conversation we could have there, but to that idea of like the vision and how that affects, you know, how I show up and going, okay, maybe winning this workout isn't a part of my goal of winning the CrossFit games. My goal is to win the CrossFit games. So now I have to decide yeah. how I show up in each moment of each day to accomplish and like, but that's a whole rabbit hole we don't have time for. So we'll save that for next time. <laughs> do you have time for a quick speed round? Yeah. yeah okay. Let's do it. Perfect. Um, this is eight incredibly difficult to answer quickly questions. So you can take however much time you need, but uh, the general intent is wherever your gut goes with it first is probably the best answer. Okay. Are you ready? Cool. Yep. Fitness content online. What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh man. Um, 
Christ. Um, I think uh, people people confusing confidence with competence. Mm. What is your favorite uh, TV yeah. show? The Office. Can you recount a specific time that you showed up in an inauthentic way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is that Do a story? you want an example of if, it? If you're okay sharing, I'd love to hear it. Um, oh, God. I can't think of anything. Like, it, it, it was definitely a long time ago, you know, like going, going through some hardships and you start, you like pen and paper, put down like your personal values um, and realizing that like, all right, I'd rather people love me. Or I'd rather people dislike me for who I am. Uh, then people like me for something I'm not because then you just it just bleeds into your personal happiness, your personal well-being. Um, and, you know, if you're just playing a game game of charades, um, it's going to catch up with you. So be be true to yourself. Um, yeah, I oh God, I know I know I've done it in the past, but off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Totally fair. What is your favorite emoji? The the one that I use the most is probably the one where like showing all his teeth like, oh, because I have to send that one very very often of like oh I did something stupid, oh. so it's it's usually the one in the top left corner of like most frequently used. That's awesome. What is the most common mistake you see athletes make with how they think about money? Uh, oh man, I go on for days on this one um assuming that another paycheck's coming like if you if your career is athletics um it is not going to last forever um you know hopefully you get to dictate the own terms of you stepping away from from your craft um but i know for myself it was i always assumed every paycheck i got was the last one and um and i never looked at it as um at like as like a true salary. So like, you know, I had, I had time weekend competitions where, you know, you make, make a good chunk of change, 50 grand, hundred grand over two, three days. And if I, if I won or earned like a hundred thousand dollars, I didn't look at that as I just, I made a hundred grand in two days. This is sick. No, I looked at it as I made $2,000 a year for the next 50 years. Um, so I always assumed every paycheck was the last, um, and, you know, made sure that when I did spend money, it was according to my values and not to impress other people or make people think a certain thing about me. Um, but invest, invest, invest. Um, it is, I, I started at 24 and like, I kicked myself that I didn't start earlier. Um, but compounding interest is, what is it? The eighth wonder of the world. It is, but it takes time. The sooner you start, the better. Um, but just, I, I think I think having the attitude of like every paycheck you get is the last, um, and pretend like that. And you know, I had my I had my retirement fund fully funded, um, so that if worst case scenario happened, and, you know, my career ended, I got injured or whatever, um, I could literally get a job that would just get me to retirement age, and then I could live comfortably. And I did. I had that retirement account filled before I bought my first house. Before I bought my first brand new car, um, you know, just, you don't need much money to live off of. Um, and so like always, always live within your means. 
This is uh, this is not on the list, and you feel free to say no. Are you comfortable telling the briefcase property buying story? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so you know, I I I very rarely buy um, something that is a uh, depreciating asset, and so I'm a I'm a big believer in you know buying land like God's not making any more land. Um, you know, buying stuff that will increase in value, provide you a revenue stream. Um, so you know, I'm very very big into investing. I'm very very big into you know buying properties. Um, you know, whether it's just land or a uh, creating another revenue stream, and and so, you know, we, Sam and I bought, bought a farm in Vermont and like small, small farm. Um, it was a lot bigger, but then they developed back half of it. So I bought the piece of property that had all the barns and stuff on it. And, uh, and you know, I was raised, like, I didn't have a credit card until mid twenties. Um, you know, I was raised that you don't buy something unless you have the money for it. And, and I took that to the extreme of like, when I bought, bought a car, I didn't want to have a car payment. I wanted to pay cash. When I bought my first house, I didn't, get a mortgage. I wanted to pay cash. And, and so when we bought this piece of property, it was, it was with the intent of, it was a vacant piece of property. So there's no house, it's just barns and, uh, bought it with the intent of that's where we're going to build our, our home that, you know, we're going to raise kids in, we're going to live in for, you know, 20, 25 years. And, uh, and I was very new to the process of buying property. And so, uh, you know, I went and looked at it and then the real estate agent, I was like, Hey, I want to put in an offer. And she goes, okay, you know, uh, are you financing it or paying cash? And I said like, Hey, I would like to, I would like, I'm going to pay cash. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to make me, you know, house poor, you know, it was an appropriate number for this vacant piece of land, uh, to pay cash. And, uh, you know, I said I'd pay cash. And then, so I showed up to the closing, um, with, with a brown paper bag and, and she said, all right, like, you know, we're signing all the paperwork and stuff. And I think, I don't know if she assumed that brown paper bag was a bag lunch or something. And then she goes, all right. And like payment, uh, I need the payment. And I like put the bag on the table and she was like, what the fuck? And I was like, like I said, I was bringing cash. And she was like, she's like, that doesn't mean cat. Like, no, like a, a check, like a certified check or something. And I was like, what? Like, no, like if you wanted a check, you should have said like financing cash or check. Like I would have brought a check for you, but like you said cash. So I got you cash. And she was like, she like looked at it. Like, I can't touch that. Like, get that away from me. Get that out of this office. Like, what if somebody comes in and robs us? And I was like, oh, well you should have specified. Like you said to bring cash. So I brought cash. <laughs> That's such a good story. I love that. But yeah, you know, and that was that was a difference of like, you know, like being raised of like being told like never go into debt, never go into debt, don't buy anything unless you can afford it. And uh and I took that like like I'm very very black and white. There's very little gray area with me. And so when somebody when I'm raised and told like never go into debt, I take that as like no mortgage, no car payment, no nothing. And it's like that's not necessarily always true. Like if you're able to get 8% returns in the market and the mortgage is costing you three and a half percent. Yeah. Take out a mortgage, keep that money working for, you, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, realizing the difference between, you know, good debt and bad debt. Um, you know, I didn't learn that until 
till later on. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I, I was raised very similarly. I didn't have a credit card until after a few years of sort of working on the business. I bought everything cash. And I, I will say, as a general rule, I actually appreciate that advice because I feel like sort of to your thing of like low overhead, it keeps you out of trouble. And it's like once you figure out how to actually know what's worth spending money on and now it's like, okay, now I need have this thing that like there's no way for me to buy cash. So what do I do? And now you get to learn. Yeah. And like, I, I think like another good example is like early on in my career, I wanted to, you know, I, I knew I always wanted to get into like owning properties and stuff. And I was thought I was doing the right thing of, you know, I wanted to buy, uh, it was a triplex. And so I was going to live in one unit, rent out the other two, and hopefully those cover my mortgage. And then I can live for free and, uh, you know, have another revenue stream. And, and I think I had won the games at that point. Maybe I won once. And, uh, so, you know, they, they're like, Hey, we need to run a credit check on you. So bring bank statements, all the stuff. Cause the real estate agent doesn't want to waste their time showing you a million dollar house. If you can only afford 250,000. And so I was looking, this triplex was an amount that I had in my checking account. Like I had the money available and, and she ran my credit score when we went and she was like, can't show you that house. You can't get a mortgage for that amount. You're not, you're not pre-approved. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? And she was like, your credit score is terrible. And, and, and so apparently there's, there's no distinction between no credit score and a bad credit score. Right. And for me, I, I had zero debt. Um, but I know had no payments. I, I had no proof that I was capable of making payments. Um, because I got free tuition at UVM. So I didn't have that. I didn't, I had, I drove an old hoopty of a car, so I didn't have a car payment. I lived in my parents' basement. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I wasn't paying rent. Uh, I was on my parents' cell phone plan because like at they we signed it so long ago that it'd be foolish for me to go get my own cell phone plan. Um, all these things that I thought I was doing the right thing by not spending money. But, but then when it came time to like, getting a mortgage is the right thing. I've never proved to the bank that I'm capable of making bank payments. Right. Um, and so they were just like, no, we're not giving you a mortgage. I'm, it was so confusing to me because I'm like, I have the money. Yeah. I have the money to buy this thing, but I don't have the credit to support it. And uh, as soon as that's when it was like, okay, I need to get a credit card and I don't leave a balance on it. It gets auto debited every month. So it's basically just a middleman. Instead of using my debit card, it uses this credit card. Um, when I, when I bought, you know, my first new car, it was just, it was a Honda Accord. It's not like some luxury car. Um, and I wanted to pay cash for it. And it was O'Keefe, like wouldn't allow it. O'Keefe was like, no, you need to have a payment. And, uh, and so, you know, just building up that credit so that when it finally does come that I want a mortgage or a car or something that like, it's more beneficial to let somebody else carry that debt. And then, you know, I can keep my money working for me in another area. I have that as an option. Right. And, and just smart debt, I guess, is the, the one caveat, right? Yeah. That it's like, don't, don't run yourself a bunch of $50,000 of credit card debt in college to buy a house someday. That's not a great move. Exactly. And like, yeah, like if, uh, for me, I always look at like, what, what can I earn on this money if, if I don't pay for this thing? So, you know, like with credit card, whether you're paying like 18 or 22% APR um, or ARP, whatever the acronym, is, like interest, 
it's like, all right, that's probably not a good time to pay the minimum balance and carry that debt. Um, but like we just bought uh, an investment property, a duplex, and mortgage rates were at rock bottom. And for an investment property, it was three and a half percent mortgage. And I'm like, dude, I'm making way more than three and a half percent in the market right now. So why why bother pulling money out of an eight percent to pay to avoid paying a three and a half percent? Right. And you know, learning the difference between good debt, bad debt, and then also even good debt. Like there's times that like fuck it pay it off don't carry that loan you know like like i i've had those scenarios as well where i'm like it's more beneficial to me to have the ease of mind knowing that i own this rather than paying that that interest um and there's a time and place for it but you know with that it's like uh like for like young athletes or people that are in this same realm of uh career path it's like talk to people that know more than you and learn from them. Ask questions like do not be nervous about sounding stupid. The person that asks a dumb question sounds dumb for a moment. The person that doesn't ask the question stays dumb forever. And it's like, ask questions, find somebody that is passionate about that topic and, and, and open up a line of communication and learn everything. Right. Um, It's, so I like, I have friends that they'll, they'll win a competition and then you, you see them a week later driving a new luxury car. And I'm like, fuck God, <laughs> no, don't. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it can, it can be rough watching it for myself. When I competed, I watched the 30 for 30 documentary broke like once every other month. Like I've watched that documentary like a hundred times um, as, as a reminder of like, do not spend your money on dumb things that have no return. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's good. And I feel like the, the one thing I would add to that too, is like the sooner to someone who's maybe uncomfortable, the sooner you learn that numbers are numbers And I feel like I grew up in a family where like numbers were very taboo, right? And so it was like then you got this sort of like insular, shameful, self-conscious thing and some numbers feel really big, some numbers feel feel really small. And it's it's sort of the same thing as weightlifting or running paces or watts or anything else. It's like there's a big scale, numbers get really big really fast and like get comfortable talking about them because otherwise you're going to get in trouble too, you know? So, so it's a couple things there. Like it depends who you're with. Like some people go and look at like a hundred dollar expense as like, how am I ever going to swing this? How am I ever going to afford it? And then you look at others and they're like, dude, $10,000 is nothing. You know, it's all relative. Right. Um, and, and so keeping that in mind, like when, when I'm with certain people, I feel uber, uber successful when I'm around others. I'm like, I'm an absolute peasant, you know? (laughs) And it's just, it's all it's all to scale like if somebody's if their goal is to own a fishing aluminum fishing boat with a 9.9 the equivalent to somebody else could be a hundred foot yacht um and so you know keeping things in perspective but then what i found is you know once i realized talking to people is the most educational thing like asking people what do you do what do you do with your money how do you invest it how do you set yourself up for your future how do you all these things um some people aren't comfortable 
having those discussions when right. it comes to actual dollar amounts. Like they don't want to share their net worth or how much how much they make annually or whatever it is. And uh, and so like most places, like with friends, I'm like, hey, I'm open to just open up our portfolios and let's compare. Let's look at how you're allocated. Let's look at your returns. What are you happy with? What mistakes have you made? Um, but some people aren't comfortable with that. And that, that's perfectly fine. It's just right. your own personal comfort level. And so what I found is whenever I try to initiate one of those conversations with a friend, I'm not doing it with strangers, um, but with a friend, and I say like, hey, if you want to, let's talk percentages. Um, and so, you know, like one, I, I remember asking uh, Ben Bergeron, and this is after we stopped working together, but we were remain friends. And, and I was kind of using him like, he looks really successful. He seems very happy. Let me ask these questions. Like, I was like, Hey, I don't need to know numbers. I have no interest in how much you make in a year, but what percentage of your annual salary do you, do you spend on smiles? Something that has no return, has no reoccurring revenue. As soon as you purchase it, it's worthless to anyone else, like going on vacation or buying a boat or, you know, whatever it is. And, and we talked in percentages and with, with him, he, he pretty quickly was like, I'm comfortable sharing numbers with you. And, and we talk numbers, but I've had conversations where it's like, how much of your annual salary do you put towards a retirement fund? How much of your annual salary do you, do you allocate towards your mortgage payment? How much, you know, and, and then it's like, Hey, I spend 40% of my salary on a mortgage. I spend 10% on a fund, no returns. I spend 20% towards my retirement account. And then you're not, you're not revealing anything, you right. know? Um, and right. then it can open up. You can have the exact same conversation. You can talk about returns, you know, how, how many more years do you need to continue at this rate to put yourself to where you want to be for retirement? Right. Um, and so, you know, I, that's how I usually try to initiate the conversation if it's appropriate. I'm like, Hey, if you want to talk percentages, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but then most of the time, the people that I'm talking to have the same question. They want to, they want to know mine and like, Hey, are you doing anything, any investments that you were really surprised at how good the returns were or the opposite of like, yo, did you fuck up anywhere and lose like a large chunk? Right. Um, and so, you know, it all depends who you're talking to, whether you're talking dollar amount or percentages or just talking ideas and not even bringing numbers into it. Right. Um, but that is for me, once I started competing and, uh, you know, having an interest in saving for the future, that is the number one most useful resource that I've I've ever found is just talking to other people. 100%, man. And I think, I, and I totally agree with all that. I think something that was shocking to me coming through that is like when you sort of lead with vulnerability in those situations too. And like you said, like your willingness to ask dumb questions and be like, I'm here to learn not to like get an angle on you. How quickly mm -hmm. a lot of people are willing to share more than maybe you would expect if you yeah. have never gone into that. Like even I called a buddy recently and it was just funny. I was laughing about this uh, and I was calling him about, hey, you know, we hadn't talked in a few years and I was like, how you been? And he was like, oh, you know, things are good. COVID hit us a little bad. We went from like 8 million a year to 4 million a year and yada, yada. And it's like, it's just numbers to him. You know, it's like, it's yeah. all, it's the same thing that if you were like, ah, oh, you know, I'm like deadlifting 225 today. It's like, it's just a, it's a thing, you know, and it's not a yeah, value just, statement. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've had it with a couple friends where like, I remember one friend, uh, you know, he was, we're, we're half close in age and, you know, I consider him very successful and, you know, I'm asking them all these questions of like, Hey, what are you doing? And, the, and we were talking in percentages and this and that. And, and finally I was like, Hey man, 
like no pressure, but like, are you comfortable? Just let's just write out our portfolios and like, I'll show you mine. You show me yours and we'll talk about the pros and cons and reasoning for everything. And he was like, yes, like that level of trust. He knew I wasn't going to run off and, you know, start telling our whole circle of friends, right. What he has and why he's doing it. Um, recently, um, my buddy Brooks, um, in, incredible guy. And, you know, we were having the same conversation and, and he brought up to me of like, Hey man, if you ever want to just like fully open up to each other and go over everything, I'm totally down. And I was like, please. Yeah. And so in his gym, uh, he had like the plexiglass boards for handstand pushups and they're both like eight, 10 feet tall. And he wrote out everything he was allocated in like dollar amounts, percentages, everything in one. And then I did the exact same thing on the other. Cause there was that level of trust there that we're like, Hey, we're both here to learn. We're not going to use this as like, Oh man, you're worth, you're worth way more than me. How can I slide my slither my way into there? Or like, dude, you're, you're broke. Like I'm going to go tell the world, you know, right. We both had that trust there and, and we went through and like, I, I have things that I do that he was like, according to him it's wrong but according to my justifications of why i'm doing it it's right and 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 we both left that conversation i then started doing some things differently like he was like oh i i do xyz and i'm like all right x i i'm not doing that but y and z i never thought of it that way or i never looked at that that avenue or that allocation and yeah so you know just just talking to people and making sure it's with people that you trust or, uh, that you're comfortable sharing that stuff. Um, and like, I, I've read, I've read a bunch of books, watched every YouTube video, like I've done it all. Um, but then taking those ideas, bringing them to conversation, having a dialogue back and forth, um, is the, the most valuable and helpful thing that I did, um, when it came to like, you know, finances. Mm. So good, man. That was such a great tangent. I'm technically in the middle of a speed round, so I'm going to quickly close it out with you. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that was supposed to be a quick answer. I pulled that thread. It was totally – that was great. What is your favorite dish at your favorite restaurant? Uh, uh, Man, favorite restaurant. I don't really have – no, I, I guess my, my favorite restaurant would be this place uh, in town here. It's called Mama Pho or Mama Pho. Um, and it's just a Vietnamese place. Um, but yeah, just beef pho with double meat. Mm. Um, you know, that, that's my treat. You know, I'm, I'm spoiled with Sammy here cooking. So I don't need to go to a barbecue place to get incredible brisket. I don't need to go to a cheesecake factory to get a good slice of cheesecake. Like I'm, I'm spoiled in that department, but the, when I do go to eat, um, or, you know, we just want that comfort food at home, this mama pho beef, uh, beef pho with double meat, and then just all the chili oil in there. Mm. Oh, we had it last night it is, sorry, my mouth just started watering. It is my favorite. <laughs> Dude, that sounds fantastic. I'm a big pho guy. So I'll have to try that out next time I'm up. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. It's incredible. Could you boil your success into one sentence? No. Perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. One, one cent. There, there's so many different variables. There's so many different things that go that go into it. And the fact that I'm sure to a lot of people, I look 
incredibly successful. I am incredibly successful. Um, I'm sure you can talk to, you could find a lot of people that would not look at anything I've accomplished as something worth chasing. Right. Um, and so once again, kind of same thing we're talking about finances, like what one person considers rich, another may consider poor. Um, and it's the same thing with success to myself. I, I am incredibly successful to, to the goals that I set up. I, I love everything I've accomplished, but I'm sure there's other people that wouldn't trade trade you a wooden nickel for the things I've right. done. Right, right, right. And maybe I worded that poorly. Um, cause I think maybe what I w- meant to say was more like your process for success into one sentence, which is where I expected you to say hard work pays off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, but I mean like even that, like that alone, I mean, look, it depends on how you look at the term. So many people look at hard work pays off as just like physical, physical labor. Um, and, you know, I look at hard work pays off like, no, it's inside the gym. It's outside the gym. It's it's mental. It's physical. It's emotional. Um, and so, you know, breaking that down into just one catchy sentence. Um, probably not. I I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hard work pays off is as probably as close as you're going to get, but there's just so many variables that go into it. Um, that it's like boiling down to one sentence. That's going to, it's going to be a run on sentence. That's fair. What was your <laughs> hardest learned lesson? Ooh. The hardest learned lesson. Um, I think, Every situation has a silver lining if you give it enough time, um, you know, and, and even after I even after I had confidence in that sake, I remember one one specific uh, situation like I was hopeless, like something bad happened and it put me into a hopeless state. It wasn't even it wasn't even um, I don't know how I'm going to recover from this situation, but I don't know if I'm going to recover from this situation. So it's not even like I'm sitting there and like, I'm looking at this cliff that I have to climb, but I see the cliff. It was like, I was empty. I didn't know how to get out of the situation. I didn't know if I could get out of the situation. I didn't, I thought I was in a hopeless state. And I remember, I remember just crying. Like I would just be watching TV, like living normal life and just like realize that situation and just like crying about it. And and this went on for a long time, but I remember in that moment, like audibly saying to Sammy, I wonder, I wonder what, what we're going to take away from this. I wonder in three years, when we look back at this situation, what the silver lining is going to be. Cause in the moment I'm like, no, this is all bad. There's nothing, nothing good in this situation. This is all, all bad. And then, but knowing that with enough time, I will find the silver lining in this situation. Um, and so like the easy examples, like when I was a weightlifter, I broke my back. Terrible. Like I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but because of that broken back, that started the process of me leaving the sport of weightlifting and finding the sport of CrossFit. And, and I'm incredibly, incredibly happy that I found CrossFit. Uh, having a girlfriend dump me, a, a girl that I'm like, she is the one, this is the one I'm going to marry. And then getting dumped. Thank God. Thank God she did. Otherwise I would have never found Sammy. And I'm, it's not even comparable. Um, 
my happiness from before to now. Um, so, you know, knowing that in those situations, even when you're feeling hopeless, give it enough time, you, the, the silver lining, the, the positive from that situation will reveal itself. So good, man. Last two, what is your biggest obstacle right now? Time. Trying to find enough time in the day. Uh, it's like, I'm not, I'm not just burning the candle at both ends. I got a lighter in the center of that center of that candle as well. Um, so learning, learning time management, um, and not just, you know, working myself into a pulp. Uh, that's, uh, that's my new, new obstacle on a day-to-day basis is Mm -hmm. trying to fit in enough time for all the projects. I feel that man. Last one. How do you define true greatness? Um, hmm. for me, it's happiness. Um, you know, like I'm very envious of the people that, you know, have, are, are just happy, happy and content with what they have. Um, you know, and not concerned about the opinion of others or people that have no influence on your day-to-day life. For me, uh, a giant role of success is what's my happiness day to day. And like, if, if I could be, I, if I could be homeless and no car, no job, no house, no nothing. But if you're genuinely happy on the inside, fuck, that sounds like a great life. Um, and I think, I think if you break down most goals of what you're striving towards, it's, uh, it's to, you know, allow happiness into your life, um, of like, why do you want the bigger house? Oh, so I can have more people over. Why do we want to have more people over? Oh, because I like having my friends over. Why do you like having your friends over? It makes me happy, you know? And so if you can finding that happiness and chasing that, um, I think that's, that's, I think the root of everything. Um, so that's what I'm me personally identifying what makes me happy and then chasing, chasing that. And once again, some people wouldn't trade, trade my aspects of happiness for anything. Um, and, but for me, I'm like, Nope, it's not about you. It's about me. What makes me happy? Um, and so, and that trickles over to, I'm happy when Sammy's happy. And, and so, I'm working to put a smile on her face because that puts a smile on my face, you know, so kind of, kind of looping it all together, but yeah, defining happiness for yourself and then trying to achieve that.